look at Exodus chapter 22. Father, we do want to thank you that when you talk to us about the Bible, uh, from the Bible rather, it is you talking. And we pray that as we listen to your words, that you will please help us to be honest with you. Because the last thing that does us any good is to pretend that we're not who you say we are. And please help us, Father, to understand what we're reading in a way that helps us to be different people afterwards. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 22. Now, I won't read all of it because it's quite long. But uh, first I'm going to read verses 1 to 4. Exodus chapter 22, page 63. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, well, there should be no blood guilt for him. In other words, he's not guilty anymore because he's dead. Uh, but if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. And then I'm going to read verses uh, 10 to 19. So jump to verse 10. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it's torn by beasts, well, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it at the time, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. And if it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged, betrothed, and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Fancy coming to a church and hearing that sentence, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Amazing should you walk out again. And then lastly, this is even worse, whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Well, that's a mixture of different things, isn't it? What should we make of that? Well, 
We'll, we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. First, I'm going to pause because the children are going to go out and uh, they have their own group and we have our group. So let me pause first. So let's go back to looking at uh, Exodus chapter uh, 22 <clears throat> and to remember again those longer rules about donkeys and oxes and asses and all those things and ask you, where in Dagenham? Uh, what are you going to do with your donkey next week? Now, you, if I was getting you haven't got a donkey, have you? So, so why are we talking about these things? And I'm not surprised if a new person comes into our church and they go home to their wives in the evening and they say, you know, I've just been to Beckentry Church and I always thought the Christians were very old-fashioned people. I was expecting that. That was not a problem. But that church has spent the whole evening talking about a society that lived 3,000 years ago. That is really pushing back the clock. That could be one way someone walks out of this church tonight and thinks along those lines. Another way could be, hey, I went to Beckham Church tonight and we learnt all about ourselves. And we learnt all about a new society that God is putting together. And we learnt about the future. And all from a group of people that lived 3,000 years ago. That might be another way you go home thinking. And we'll see which one it is for you afterwards. And I'll probably guess because I know when the eyes glaze over. But we're going to find out this is bang up to date. We're going to learn things first about ourselves. And the first thing we're going to learn about ourselves is that we always do wrong. You can see these people are getting instructions about the times they go wrong. What's surprising is that these people are massively favoured. They are fantastically privileged. These guys used to be slaves in Egypt. Okay? God's only brought them out of slavery and he's rescued them from the worst life they could have had and he brings them to this mountain. It's like God marries them and he says at this mountain to these people, you are my people. They are massively special to God. You would expect them to be the very best people in the world. And then you read Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. If a man steals, these people are going to be stealing. And the big lesson that we're going to learn as we read the Bible again and again and again is simply the B&B rule. Do you know the Bible does a good B&B? It tells us that we live in a broken world and that we are broken people. We are broken people living in a broken world. And so therefore we steal. Now you might say, oh, why pick on stealing? Well, we're not picking on stealing. The way the Bible works, if you've been here before, is to see that the Bible takes one area of malfunction and then it says, look, when this happens, 
here are things to do. And the Bible does it like that, so when there are other areas of malfunction, you take the same advice and guidance and apply it to those other areas as well. This is never meant to be one area, there are other areas too. And when those other areas happen, this is what you do, same thing, same principles are applied. And so when a society malfunctions, the Bible aims at the courtroom and he says there are two things that are really important if human society is going to work together, two things that help fix relationships. They are big words and uh, the first big word is restitution. I can pronounce it, don't worry if you can't. I can certainly not pronounce the Farsi word that's next to it. <laughs> but restitution means that the victim ends up feeling like they've gained more than they've lost. So if a person steals, they give back five oxen, four sheep, they give, make restitution. So the victim feels they've gained more than they've lost. Yes, understand? Yeah, it's easy to understand because every British bloke understands it. When we go and upset our wives, what's the first thing we do? Buy the flowers. Okay, that's called restitution. So we go to the shop, we go to the shop, and we go home with the flowers. Now let me tell you, I generally tend not to buy flowers, but that was... Once, that's, that's, that's not because I'm stingy, it's because I'm saving up for the big day and I, the big day came and I saved up everything and, and I splashed out, I think they cost me a fiver. Um, uh, and, and, and as the florist gave me the flower, she said, I'd love to know what you've done. Exactly. <laughs> let, let, let me tell you, florists operate on the principle of restitution. <laughs> If there wasn't a principle of restitution, you wouldn't be selling flowers on the street corners, okay? Uh, that is so that the victim feels that they've gained more than they've lost. That's the principle of restitution, okay? But there's also the principle of retribution, where the thief gets punished. That's the big word for punished. And he suffers big loss because he loses more than he gains because he went for one and he now has to pay five. Yep, he's lost a very big deal. And so restitution takes place. You might say, hold on a minute, that's unfair. If he has to pay back four or five of everything that he's taken, how is he going to afford to do that? You make him only go out and steal again. But the answer for that is covered in verse 3. Now, if he can't pay back his debt, he goes and he works it off. He shall surely pay. If he's uh, uh, got nothing, he should be sold for his theft. And he will have to work to pay back what he's taken. To pay back the restitution. And that is the answer to repeat offending. I tell you, it is interesting, isn't it? In Bible society, you don't take people away and put them in a prison. You put the, keep them in society, 
but you work ways of helping them never to want to do that ever again. That is actually one of the problems of British justice is that actually people come out of prison, it's such a good time, they do the same thing again and they go back in. It's how it works. But this part of the Bible is not to tell us about how to reorganize the criminal system in Britain. What this part of the Bible is really here to tell us is that we live in a BNB world where you need restitution, where you need retribution because we are broken people living in a broken world. And you see it in the area of theft, uh, but it is not uh, the only area. Yeah, we've seen uh, the answer is, uh, is, is there in when people steal. We know that uh, uh, people are always wanting things that, don't, that aren't theirs. That's part of the world we're living in. And, and if you don't want to look at stealing anymore, fine, we can change the subject. Another thing that uh, this chapter tells us that we are, as people, that we, where we get things wrong, is that we are suspicious. So uh, there's a suspicious looking person. Why is he suspicious? Because he's given something to his neighbor to look after, and now he's gone to pick it up, and the neighbor says, I haven't got it anymore. And so various things have got to be recommended. If you can see that happening, it's uh, there in um, verse 7. Uh, he gives his neighbor money and it's stolen from the man's house. At least that's what the neighbor says. If the thief finds, well, obviously uh, the thief uh, uh, is, is resolved in that way. But if it hasn't been stolen and there's no proof that it's been attacked and uh, a wild beast has got it, then, then you've got to go through a certain ritual to make sure that the neighbor is telling the truth because... If you look at verse 9, you can see the neighbor could be a person you trusted to look after your stuff, but the neighbor's word himself may not be trustable. So you've got to uh, uh, have both parties coming before God. And you've got to resolve it that way, because you can't always trust your neighbor, even though you have trusted them with the stuff that you've given them to keep. And then you say, okay, let's change the subject again. Another area that's been looked at is boy-girl relationship in verse uh, 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 16. And uh, 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 the bloke goes and has sex with his girlfriend. Ooh, that's rather a race, isn't it? In the Bible, you wouldn't expect to see that, but the Bible actually tells us that we do things wrong like that. We take advantage of people. And we take advantage of people because we don't, we want to enjoy things without ever exercising any responsibility in looking after that person and caring for them. So we go for the easy, uh, the easy prize, but we don't want to be responsible in the way we uh, handle uh, relationships like that. And so the answer to that is get married. And uh, uh, <clears throat> we might say, well, ooh, that, that puts a bit of pressure on a couple. Now you're going to do a shotgun wedding. <coughs> no, uh, they already like each other because otherwise there wouldn't be any seduction. So what's going on here is that the man isn't getting married because he's going to become a dad. He's getting married because he's going to be responsible. And so therefore 
he is going to look after this person uh, and marry her and care for her. There's still a protection because if the dad doesn't think it's a good match, then the dad has the power of veto and says, no, you will not marry her. So therefore, there is that protective uh, safeguard in place, but the relationship is to be, uh, <coughs> to be, to be basically brought together in marriage. And we might say, well, <coughs> that is something that uh, uh, really is, 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 is putting pressure on someone to get married for that particular reason. And the Bible would say, yes, we don't want to encourage marriage for that particular reason. We want people to think about their relationship first and then get married. But if irresponsibility has jumped the gun, then responsibility needs to be brought back into play. And so therefore, that uh, relationship is going to be made secure for the future rather than uh, with irresponsible actions running it. But we are actually in a broken world and we are broken people and we need to therefore see how relationships need to be put right after we've broken them. And so that's what the Bible is helping us to do. But we are broken people in a broken world and let me tell you, if we don't understand that and if there aren't any uh, safeguards in the way, then the breaks are off and we will end up doing anything. It is astonishing, isn't it? See verse 19 in the Bible, someone having sex with animals. You'd expect to read that in some dive in London. The News of the World. I don't, do they still have a News of the World? Used to place where all the, 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 the gossip used to be of a particular seedy variety was discussed there. You might expect this kind of action to be in that kind of article. Instead you get it in the Bible 3,000 years ago because it wants to tell us that we are broken people living in a broken world. We do wrong and when the brakes are off and no one sees us in our hearts, if we just basically cater to our appetites without any self-restraint, who knows where the road will lead. We need to get real about the way the Bible tells us our society is. If you understand the Bible society, you will not be surprised. If you are a good reader of your Bible, you will not be surprised when things go massively wrong in the world that we're living in. Okay? Number one point, we all do what is wrong. Number two point is God brings about a new society that is different. And what we learn when we read Exodus chapter 22 is not that God is making a new kind of way of living for the whole of Britain. We are talking about a new way of living that God is making for his special people. We're not talking about the country at large. We are talking about those who belong to God. And I don't know whether this little... Uh, <coughs> picture might help. Um, sorry, I'm not very good at drawing. I have to apologize. Uh, I do that wrong as well. Okay? You've been through point one. We know we do things wrong. Drawings are one of the uh, things that uh, I do wrong 
quite often. But in the Old Testament part of the Bible, God's people and those who are not God's people are kept apart. Okay, so here are the people who are not God's people in the story of Exodus. They happen to be in Egypt. And then you've got Israel at the moment in a desert right in the middle on the way out of Egypt towards their new country. But they haven't got there yet. They're in the desert. So, so there they are. Israelites here, Egyptians there. Okay, it's like pagans here and believers here. Except I look at the face and I think probably it's the other way around. <laughs> Um, okay, that's the old part of the Bible. But when you get to the new part of the Bible, it's after after Jesus, uh, God's people are everywhere. They are found in every part of the world because Jesus said, "Go into the world and make disciples of all nations." So now you've got disciples in all nations, and therefore, uh, can you see the amazing likeness to uh, North and South America on the left? <laughs> Um, I think I want to get a prize for Africa in the middle. And, um, and I think Europe and Russia and everything else. Um, um, there's a place for Australia. And you can see the idea missed out the Caribbean. Yes, there, aren't any, there would only be a red dot in the Caribbean, wouldn't there? Um, so, now Christians and, and non-Christians are all kind of meshed in together. They're, they're everywhere. So it's a bit like, you know, if I brought a little dot and I put in Nerlin's face and another one on Barry's face, and it's, it's like they're in the middle. Of, they're Christians in the middle of non-Christians. And, and, and really, therefore, the place where Christians gather together now is in the church. That's where there's a place for believers. Not everybody here will be a Christian, but it is largely where you would expect Christians to meet up on a, 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 a time like this if they're part of our, our church. So these, these instructions, that's why you get instructions given about when a couple have sex before they're married, let them get married. You wouldn't go out onto the Beckentry estate and say, now look, you know, if you're living with someone, get married now. You wouldn't make laws like that, but if someone was in our church and they found themselves in that relationship, then that's where the encouragement would be aimed. Why? Because within God's people, sex takes place within marriage, not outside it. It's a, it's a guideline for this new society that God is putting together. That is why, it's almost the name of a pub, isn't it? Uh, in these, between verses uh, um, <clears throat> uh, 16 and uh, 18, it's, it's sex and the sorceress. Okay? You don't have the sex in the church, you don't have the sorceress in the church either. Why? Because the sorceress is the person who brings in a different and alternative form of revelation. In church, everyone's saying, let's listen to what God says. And the sorceress comes in and says, no, actually, I've got a special message for you today. And the Bible says, no, there mustn't be a place for that. Now, we're not ever told that a sorceress was ever stoned or put to death. 
because what we're really being taught here is that there should be no place for an alternate revelation within the meeting of God's people. And in the New Testament we see that this hasn't gone out of date because the New Testament says, don't let the false teachers in. And what do we find in our church in Britain? That we haven't done anything about the false teachers. They've come into church. Now, most churches have got more false teachers than they have the true ones. And so, we need to understand that these are entirely right for our church today, not just 3,000 years ago. God is making us special people and they are going to be faithful in their relationships, they are going to be responsible in their relationships, and they are going to be listening to him, not to anyone else that comes up with a new idea and a new form of revelation. And then the third message that we see is that actually these, Exodus chapter 22 is pointing to the future. Why am I saying that? Because everything that is written here is to help them live in the new country that they're heading for. It's kind of there in the text. If a man breaks in to steal something, he's got to have something to break. He's got to have a house to break into. Well, they won't get houses until they get to their new country. At the moment, they're not living in houses. They're in a desert. They're on the move. So this is written for a time in the future when they will have houses and fields and people will be uh, living in that kind of new world. They are living now with a view to how they will be when they get to their new country. And so therefore I have another picture for you. Um, and uh, <clears throat> uh, you see in Exodus that they are, they are in a desert. Well, that's where they are at the moment, okay? Exodus is in a desert. That's what this book is to be located and found, okay? It's a desert between Egypt and the new country that they're going to be living in because one day they're going to be living in a new country. Please, why do you look at those trees and think that they're television antennae? They are not. They are trees. Anyone can tell. Come on. Uh, you, you, give me a break, okay? So you've got the desert, but they're looking forward to the promised land. Yeah? They're getting instructions now for the promised land. Now, after the time of Jesus, the equivalent of life today is the equivalent of life in the desert. In other words, we haven't got to the new country that God has promised us. But we are finding out what that new kingdom is like in order that we can understand how to live anticipating that kingdom now. That's how the Bible deals with us. And therefore, if you went on to read the rest of Exodus chapter 22, it's a long chapter, which is why we didn't read it, but the long chapter is how to care for people, uh, how to look after widows, how to... Because heaven is going to be a place of caring, so therefore let's anticipate that here and now in how we are with people. And then right at the end you hear, you know, don't eat roadkill, and so on, at the end of Exodus chapter 22. Well, simply because God is holy and we therefore need to live in the light of God's holiness that we will meet when we see him face to face. Three lessons, therefore. You learn about ourselves, that we 
get it wrong. We learn about the new society that God is creating, a place of love and care and security. And we learn about the future, what it would be like in the kingdom of heaven. And we live in anticipation of that here and now. What are the things we can learn from that? Well, first, I think if you are someone who is a new person to these things, you've not really ever tracked the Bible before and it's all new to you, well, it might be that you come in here thinking, well, you know, I'm not such a bad person, but maybe if I go to church, I'll be an even better person. But as you come into church, and the first message the Bible wants us to really understand and learn and believe is that we get things wrong. We are not okay, good people. Seriously, we're not. And as Rob very helpfully put it, nor is anyone in the front. Yeah, whether you're looking in front of you or behind you, you're not looking at anyone who's getting things right. And we are all, uh, in that sense, um, uh, malfunctioning. We are B and B people. We are broken people living in a broken world. And therefore, we need to start not by saying, I'm good and let, me tell, let someone tell me how to get better. We need to start by saying, actually, I am not good. I'm someone who keeps breaking down. I'm a broken person in a broken world. Because the minute you start thinking like that about yourself, you can have your very first honest conversation with God. And say, God, I'm a broken person. Therefore, I come to you because only you will be able to uh, bring me the help that I need. I'm so broken. Only you will help me to live in the new society that you are making. And only you will give me the future that you have promised. And help me to live in the light of that now. When you're someone who is brand new to Christianity, that's a great way to think. I'm a broken person in a broken world. I need God more than I need anything else in this world to forgive me, heal me, bring me into his new society, prepare me for his future. What happens if you're someone who's knocked around church a lot and you've been to church and there you are? You're someone who comes to church and you know the score. And it's very easy, isn't it, to think that we come to church and, yeah, we learn what God wants us to do and then we go off and we do it. And we too forget this humbling realization that we are broken people too, living in a broken world. These words are all addressed to God's broken people. And so therefore we need to understand that um, uh, it is so easy to become like another group of people who were around Jesus at the time, people called Pharisees. And the Pharisees got, got told rules. They said, yeah, we're good enough to do those rules. And really, the Bible is, <clears throat> is not going to work if you treat it like that. Because what happens is, when you start thinking, I'm an okay person and I can keep rules, let me tell you, there's going to be a subtle shift. And the subtle shift will be something like this. You don't actually go for the Bible rules because you don't ever keep them. So what you do is you go for things that you can keep. What we might call religious traditions. 
Uh, that lowers the bar quite a lot, and you can hit those targets, especially because most of the religion that people talk about is only to do with the Sunday service. And if you just come on Sundays, you got the pass mark. Why? But a Christian is someone who goes to church, aren't they? You've been to church, right? Okay, so you must be a Christian. And if you're a Catholic, well, you go to the church and you take the bread and wine. That's the pass mark. You've done that this week. Yep, okay, then you're good. You're obviously part of the in crowd. You're on the side of the angels. See, it's basically uh, where getting traditions in the place of what God says, then you can say, yeah, I've kept these. Islam does that too. Islam says pray five times a day. God's going to love that. See, you can pray five times a day. Yeah, you can tick that box. But the church Sunday tradition, well, it's not what God says. God is talking about relationships, how to live in loving serving relationships with people. That is what the Bible talks about, not a tradition of going to church and singing the songs and doing all that. So learning how to love and serve people, that is what God's Word is aiming at in this new society. Don't get that confused with uh, the kind of stuff we normally pick up in church, which is usually to do with traditions rather than actually what God's Word says. And then, just if we could keep Marie awake for a bit longer, um, we see that uh, the major uh, thing that if we are believers, we will find ourselves wanting to do is to learn how to obey. To live now with our view on the future. And what we will see ourselves in the future in the kingdom of God when it comes is we will be exactly like the Lord Jesus, fully obedient. And therefore, because we have this wonderful view of ourselves, fully obedient to God in the future, because we will be with Jesus, we will see what he is like, we will be like him, because we have that vision in front of us in the future, we now start to live like him today. We learn how to live in his ways, to make his reactions and responses, to serve the way that he does, to make his sacrifices. We start becoming like him. Because that's our future. And we love it. So the key gold possession for the Christian that we would love to have more than any other treasure on earth is the ability to obey God because that is what the future will be all about. That's what, what our life now is therefore going to be all about. You with me? That is therefore the new gain of the believer. That's the purpose for our lives. The precious treasure that we would love to have as much as we can before we see him face to face is to start obeying him more and more like him as we anticipate that meeting. So that's what we want to be looking at I think from uh, Exodus uh, chapter 22. So I hope if you go home you won't go and say we are old fashioned and uh, we are 
stuck back in things that happened 3,000 years ago. I'm hoping you go back and you say, hey, here are people who really know what they're like. They know that they keep doing wrong. They're honest about that. They're real about that. And here are people who are wanting to learn how to be a new society in the care that they bring to each other. And here are people who've got their eyes fixed on the future and who live anticipate, anticipating that future here and now. Well, I'm hoping you'll think that way. Let me pray, and then you can tell me that you don't. Um, but why don't we spend one minute, you talk to God by yourself, about what you have heard just now about Exodus chapter 22. And maybe that you want to admit that you are broken and you want God to draw close to you and to help. It may be that you're someone who has been around church circles and you want to come to God and say, I don't want traditions anymore, I just want uh, your word speaking to me from Scripture. Maybe that you're someone who says, um, Lord, I haven't really seen what my point of life is about, but now I see it's about obedience. May that be the biggest, precious treasure that I can have next week. Well, you talk to God the way you like, and we'll leave a minute, and then I'll lead us and finish in prayer in that way. Well, let me end in prayer. Father, we do want to thank you for speaking to us. Uh, even though it is humbling to hear how uh, we uh, get things wrong and in fact how badly we get things wrong when the brakes are off and yet be true that these we understand that these things are true uh, we are broken people living in a broken world please help us to to see how uh, uh, that is uh, entirely uh, the case and please help us, Father, to uh, uh, know your grace, to live in this new society that you have called us into, that we might be so attractive as people in our relationships that the outside world looks in and wants to be part of your kingdom as well. And we pray, Lord, that you will please help us to not just think of heaven as something that um, uh, is a vague uh, hope in the future but help us to see with absolute clarity the great prize waiting for us is the prize of being able to obey you fully, completely, perfectly and please would you help us to enjoy some of that uh, joy and delight here in our lives today and we pray that for the glory of your name Amen, Amen.